So today's Bible reading comes from Isaiah 61, chapter 61, verses 1 to 11. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. And you'll be called priests of the Lord and you'll be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wrath of na- the wealth of nations and in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. Your, in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land and everlasting joy will be yours. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will renew my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. A delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the soil makes the spirit sprout come up and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. Well, I want you to imagine, to start off with today, I want you to imagine that the sudden appearance of a bad transmissible disease has turned your life upside down. Instead of being able to move around and do your normal daily activities, you've been ordered to stay at home. You're not to leave home except for a small number of basic activities such as buying food and perhaps going to work, things that are deemed to be essential. You've been locked down for weeks, for months. How do you feel? Actually, you know exactly how it feels, don't you? This isn't something you have to imagine. This has been your reality over and over again, it seems, over the last couple of years as a result of COVID-19. As people were being locked down and their freedoms restricted, what was it that they were looking forward to? Now, does anyone remember October the 11th? Anyone remember? What happened on October the 11th? Hopefully you can remember. I heard some people. Yeah, I heard some people say (laughs) Freedom Day, right? After nearly four months of COVID lockdown, finally some semblance of normality was able to return 
and people were celebrating that fact. You see, people who've been imprisoned or locked up look forward to freedom, don't they? In the lead up to the time of Israel's captivity, when the people of Israel would be captured and taken off into exile to Babylon, the prophet Isaiah spoke in chapter 61 of a person who would come in the future, a person who would be anointed by God's spirit in order to come and proclaim freedom and the time of Yahweh's favour. This anointed servant would be chosen and empowered by God to preach good news to the humble, to bandage up the wounds of the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to those taken captive and to announce release for those in prison. A day of good news, healing and freedom was coming. This anointed servant would also proclaim the year of God's favour, a time of jubilee, a time when slaves and debtors would be released, set free from their bonds. This time of favour would also be a time of vengeance and comfort. God would deal with his enemies, but also bring comfort to his people in the midst of their sadness and mourning. In Isaiah's description in verse 3, we have a wonderful picture of transformation. The garb of mourning would be replaced by the clothes of celebration. Instead of ashes thrown upon their heads as a sign of lamentation, God would place upon their heads a beautiful turban, the headgear of a man about to be married. Instead of a face filled with the tears of mourning, God would give them the oil of exaltation. Instead of a weak, dim spirit, God would cover them with a cloak of praise. This transformation from sadness to joy would result in them being called terebinths, large trees of righteousness. They would be a mighty forest of majestic trees planted by Yahweh for his own glory. It's a picture of the difference between a burnt, barren wilderness and a majestic forest full of power and life. The transformation brought on by the year of favour would include rebuilding the ancient ruins of the kingdom. Instead of foreigners coming in to attack and plunder, foreigners would help in the task of looking after the flocks and fields. It would be a time of blessing, the start of a time of everlasting joy, a time, according to verse 8, when God's people would be rewarded for their commitment to God's justice, a time when additionally God would make with them an eternal covenant, a time, according to verse 9, when the nations of the world would acknowledge the blessing that God had realised 
for his people. The vocabulary of offspring, nations and blessing in verse 9 recalls the promise given to Abraham back in Genesis 12 verse 3 that through Abraham the families of the earth would be blessed. We have here then a strong hint that during this prophesied year of the favour of the Lord, the Abrahamic promise of blessing would finally be realised. The blessing of God's people would finally be achieved in full. Friends, to an exiled and enslaved people, this prophecy, speaking as it does of good news, healing, freedom, release, favour, comfort, beauty, exaltation, praise, righteousness, restoration, wealth, joy, reward and blessing. This kind of prophecy would definitely have seemed to be almost too good to be true. But this is what God had promised them. And God's people in exile would have been greatly encouraged to know that one day, the year of the Lord's favour would arrive. The year of the Lord's favour would definitely arrive sometime. But who is the anointed servant that is being talked about here? And when would he appear? Over 600 years after these words were spoken, a man full of the Holy Spirit attended synagogue in the town of Nazareth on the Sabbath. He was invited to read the scroll of scripture to the congregation. As he stood up to read, he was handed the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written in Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. As the eyes of everyone in the synagogue stared at him, he then said to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. God's people had been waiting a long time, hundreds of years, but now at last, the year of jubilee, the year of the Lord's favour, had finally arrived. This man, Jesus of Nazareth, proclaimed to his fellow citizens, today, today, this Prophecy has been fulfilled. Anointed with the Spirit, Jesus came preaching good news to the humble. He came proclaiming freedom to the captives, 
restoring sight to the blind, setting free the oppressed, and announcing the commencement of the time of God's favour. The time of restoration and transformation. The time of the fulfilment of the Abrahamic blessing. The time of jubilee. That time was now. Friends, as we move into Christmas season this year, it's always good to be reminded of the significance of Jesus' coming. In God's plan, Jesus has come to announce and achieve the ultimate jubilee. The cycle of jubilee every 50 years in Israel, what this was supposed to symbolise, the ultimate in freedom and forgiveness, this finds its fulfilment in Jesus. Good news, healing, freedom, release. The favour of God has finally arrived in full. Now, friends, in the light of the difficult days that we're currently facing, it's important to reflect upon the fulfilment of God's promises that has been achieved in Jesus already. The time of jubilee, it's already arrived in Jesus. I know it's true that we're still waiting to experience the full reality of this jubilee in person. But the response of the anointed servant in Isaiah 61, verses 10 and 11, is supposed to be our response too. Just like the anointed servant Jesus, we should rejoice in Yahweh. Our soul should be glad in our God. For he has clothed us in the garments of salvation. He's covered us with the robe of righteousness. In fact, according to verse 10, we're like a bridegroom who's actually like a priest dressed with a beautiful turban on our heads. We're like a bride who adorns herself with her ornaments on her wedding day. The old clothes of sadness have been removed and replaced with the beautiful clothes of celebration. In this way, just like the shoots of new life that sprout forth from the earth, so the Lord Yahweh has caused righteousness and praise to sprout forth in front of all the nations. As Isaiah 61 tells us, the time of jubilee is a time of freedom and forgiveness. It's a time of transformation, a time of righteousness and praise. Finding its fulfilment in Jesus, this means that the favour of the Lord has arrived and it's time for us to celebrate. You see, no matter what our external circumstances might be, no matter how dark things at times might feel, as we remember Jesus coming into the world as a baby in Bethlehem, we remember the coming of freedom. We remember the coming of the Lord's favour in full.
friends, in the light of these truths, it's totally appropriate for us to celebrate and rejoice. Let's pray. Our great Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you for these words from the prophet Isaiah recorded in Isaiah 61 that speak about an anointed servant who would come to proclaim freedom and forgiveness, the fullness of your favour. And then to think over 600 years after those words were spoken, that Jesus stood up in the synagogue in Nazareth, read out that passage to the congregation, and as they were looking at him, he said, Today, these things has been fulfilled. Well, God, we know that we've been going through difficult times. The world really does seem to be upside down and so chaotic. And at times we just feel confused and anxious. But, Lord, that's exactly how your people back then when the Babylonian army came in and took them off to a foreign land, that's exactly how they would have felt too. Yet you spoke a word of how in the future your chosen servant would come to bring about a total transformation to bring about freedom, to bring about forgiveness, to bring into existence your favour in full. Lord, we thank you that Jesus has come to bring these things. And we pray this Christmas time, and every day of our lives, that you would help us to understand and to celebrate and rejoice the coming of freedom and forgiveness, the fullness of your favour in Jesus. Amen. Now it is time for some Q&As. Before we go online, questions. Anybody here has any questions that you would like to ask Reverend Coxett from his sermon? I just noticed yeah. today. Yes. You use a lot of word as world. Yep, yep. Um, where the Bible says a lot, earth. Yep. I'm just a bit, um, I don't know, just the change. Yep, yep. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Is there a particular reason why change the world instead of earth? Um, is that because I'm used to earth. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, okay. World is, uh, word has two meanings. Yep. It could be good, it could be bad. Yep, yep. So that's why I was not comfortable. Okay, all right, no worries. Um, Roman Coxup, do you well, like to answer that question or? Yeah, it just uh, it depends how, well, there's, there's a number of things. Um, it depends on what word you're coming across, I would say, in the, the original language, say whether that's, Hebrew or Greek, which are the main languages the Bible was translated into. And so uh, it's true that the word 
in Hebrew, it can sometimes be translated land, it can sometimes be translated earth, it can sometimes be translated as world. So you've got to work out in any particular usage of that in the context, what is it talking about? Uh, but today, I think in the passage, it was talking about how uh, God's people would be blessed by God, and this is a fact that's going to be acknowledged among the nations, okay? So uh, in normal English usage, I guess we can, when we, we don't really talk about the nations so much, you know, we'd normally talk about the world or the countries of the world. So it probably depends on uh, what particular word you're thinking of and in what context you're using it. Um, uh, I hope that answers your question or do, do you we'll have a follow-up? Uh... I'll follow-up. Yeah, yeah. Okay. The reason the word world, I'll give you an example, okay? Um, yep. Have you heard of the term um, new world order? You see the phrase? That's why I was like, yep. um, that's why the word world, I feel uncomfortable because there's a lot of phrase that use it and it's got double meaning to it. Yeah, you're breaking up a little bit there, but what I would say is that, you know, we've got lots of different words in the English language or whatever language you might be speaking. Particular individuals might have reactions to particular words because of some personal history, say, you know, there can be really good words at times, like, for example, the word family. But if someone's had a bad experience of family, then they're going to have a reaction to the word family. Similar thing actually happens when we talk about God as heavenly father. People who have a bad relationship with their father, they sort of cringe a little bit whenever we talk about God as father. So it is difficult. Uh, but in the end, all we're simply to trying to do is just reflect the language that occurs in, in the scripture at that point. And, and hopefully, uh, even if a person might have a bad reaction or a bad thought, you know, a particular word that might be neutral in the scripture, or actually it might even be positive. So some people might come across as a negative. But I guess at that point, I just encourage people to understand that we need to understand what God is saying from his perspective. And sure, when we first hear things from our perspective, maybe there are things there that we're a bit uncomfortable with. But if God's used this language, then we need to get used to that kind of language. Okay. Thank you, Reverend Stephen. Um, now we'll, we'll, if no further questions here, we'll jump on to the online questions. And the first one that we have is that... Uh, some of the words you used in the sermon were a bit different from the passage. Can you explain that a bit? Yeah, I'm not sure in particular what words were different, but uh, one of my habits, and I think it's one that Reverend John does as well, whatever passage we speak from, we actually go back to the original language. So for me, this is Isaiah 61. So I go to Isaiah 61 in the Hebrew text and I do my own translation. So at that point, some words could perhaps be slightly different, uh, but they're pretty much saying the same thing, I would say, as any standard translation. Sometimes there may be situations where I would think, or oh, maybe the NIV or something like that, maybe it's gotten it wrong or it could translate this word slightly differently. It might be better that way. But generally speaking, 
the translations, I think, that we have are pretty good. Uh, there is one passage, though, or one particular part of a verse that maybe you heard that doesn't occur in the Isaiah 61 passage. And I don't think I mentioned during the sermon that when I was talking about Jesus at Nazareth, that actually comes from Luke chapter 4. So Luke chapter 4, verses 16 and following there. And you can see that's the incident of Jesus reading the Isaiah scroll in Nazareth. But in the account in Luke 4, it does add in the words and heal the sight of the blind or something to that effect. Um, that doesn't actually appear in the Isaiah 61 passage in the Hebrew. Uh, so what's happened here, I'm assuming that it's just that uh, it's reflecting the LXX translation, we call it, which is the first major translation of the Hebrew Old Testament into a foreign language that was into Greek. And so they've got the additional bit about healing the sight of the blind, which doesn't occur in Isaiah 61. It's an interesting question as to why it's not there in Isaiah 61. Did it drop out? Perhaps sometimes that can happen because remember back in those days, they didn't have photocopiers. They had to do all the copies by hand. So sometimes the scribe, when he's writing everything out, if he's not paying attention or it's late at night or something like this, or if there's a similar word at the end of an, a line, sometimes they can yep. skip a line. So sometimes things like that can happen. But uh, whoever asked that question, if you've got any concrete examples of any differences there that you noticed, then feel free to let me know. Yeah, definitely. Um, feel free. Like Padlet is available uh, at any time, any day. If you have a follow-up question, please put it down on the Padlet and um, Reverend Coxett and Reverend John will be more than happy to do a follow-up answers for that. Okay, we're moving on to question number two. Uh, and it says, it's asked, in what way do we already have freedom and in what way we are waiting? Yeah, great question, this one. And this is always the big problem that we have as Christians. <laughs> we have everything in full, but yet we're still waiting. So how do we explain this? Yeah. What we need to understand at this point is that Jesus has everything in full, okay? In Jesus, think about Jesus. After he completed his work on the cross, what happens? He's resurrected, and then he ascends into heaven. By ascending into heaven, mm. sorry to use the word, word world again, but in the sense he's, he's gone into the new creation, he's gone into the, the new world, the eternal state before God the Father. And by Jesus ascending into heaven, the significance of that is is that Jesus has arrived at the destination. Mm. Jesus has re-entered as a human being. He's re-entered into the presence of God. So remember Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden? How can we get back to go into the garden and get back into the presence of God? Well, that has now been achieved through Jesus ascending into heaven. You see how it works there? Yeah. But I ask you a question, Steve, you're there in Horsley Park. I can't yeah. see you currently in heaven, right? Nah. But what happens is through our faith in Jesus, we are united to Jesus through the spirit. And so in a sense, we are where Jesus is. We are members of his body. You know, Paul uses that language, right? So there's a sense in which we're actually there in heaven, not physically, but we are where Jesus is because of our faith union with him. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's a sense in which we can say, I'm currently there. Jesus has got it. 
I'm there, I'm part of that, mm. but yet we're still here, right? Do you see how it works there? There's that kind of yep. tension. So Jesus has gone beforehand. That's the reason that there's this kind of tension because Jesus is leading the pack. He's already arrived there. We're just catching up. Mm. Okay, so we have the fullness of freedom now. We have everything now because Jesus has it, right? Yep. We've got it in him, but we're still catching up with him. So we won't catch up with him until the day of resurrection. Okay, yep. so we've got it, but not yet. There's that tension there. Yeah. Does that explain the issue? It's a bit of a tricky one, but <laughs> even though we don't have it in full, and that's why we've still got COVID here and you know, our ups and downs every day, mm-hmm. but we need to realise because yep. Jesus has ascended in the presence of God we actually have the fullness of Jubilee now. It's already begun. We're still waiting, though, to experience the fullness of it personally. Yep. Okay. Uh, thank you for that, Reverend Coxon. And I hope whoever asked that question um, is um, a bit more clearer. But if you have, again, if you have any further question, follow-up question, please feel free to put it down on the Padlet. Okay. I think this is the third and last question we have for today. Um, and that is, how do we reconcile verse 9 with the way our current culture view views Christianity who would think the opposite? Yes, current culture does view Christianity quite negatively. In fact, I came across an interesting thing the other day. Mm. Uh, I think on an ABC program, is it Richard Glover or something? He invited some female theologian just to talk about jesus birth in the scripture in the in matthew and luke's gospel was only like a 15 minute segment Mm. but then glover got abused by people saying how dare you in effect bring upon uh us this this kind of uh how would they describe it it's it's like they were triggered by this talking about jesus being born and so I just made me realise, well, there's a lot of haters out there. Even just someone talking about the story of Jesus being born, mm. there were people who responded. And, and Richard Glover was taken aback by, in a sense, all of the abuse he got via Twitter and so on about just this small little segment that he had on the radio about Jesus' birth in Scripture. So mm. that just is an example. There are people out there who actually hate Christianity and want to almost like bar Christianity from any public space. And I tend to think if these people, what can happen is when people agitate, things can kind of move in that direction. If things move in that direction more so over time, then it is going to be very, very difficult for us as Christians, I would say, in terms of the negativity that is out there. But anyway, let's get on to verse 9. Verse 9 I'll just read it out. It says, Their offspring shall be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them that they are an offspring the Lord has blessed. I just read out the ESV translation there. Yes, it will be the fact that in some cultures there will be a negative response to Christianity. There will be things such as opposition and persecution. But think about longer term, and I think this is what this verse has here. That longer term, no matter if people have opposed Christians or Christianity during their life here on earth, longer term, what's going to happen? 
you're going to get Jesus returning in a public and visible way. Everyone is going to be resurrected, you know, those who even have died, and they're going to personally be there to see the coming and enthronement of Jesus and the acknowledgement of him as king over the world. They are going to see Jesus standing up on behalf of his people, accepting them into his kingdom and blessing them. Okay. So in the end, you know, people can deny these things for a time. They might want to think that Christianity is the worst thing that's ever happened to the world. Some people think that way, sadly, but in the end, God will be vindicated. Jesus will be vindicated. God's people will be blessed and everyone will be, in a sense, forced to acknowledge, even through gritted teeth, right, that they were wrong and that God was right. So longer term, what's talked about here in verse 9 is true. We hope that more and more people, even if they don't believe, they would have a positive view of Christians and Christianity. But even if that doesn't happen, longer term, God's people will be vindicated in the eyes of the world. Okay. Thank you, Roman Coxett, for that insight. Thank you for having me today. (laughs) Always a pleasure.